Welcome to today's podcast brought to you by U.S. Bank. Imagine a world where your moneymaker is your hobby. Well, you won't have to. U.S. Bank takes pride in being the extra push people need to turn their dream job into reality. With friendly advice, setting realistic goals, and being there, supporting them with every step in their journey, just like a friend or partner would. It's time to turn your side gig into something bigger. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Now let's tune into today's episode. Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, and caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you could see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects. No phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. During our lowest prices of the season, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 C2 Smart Bed is only $8.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. On Tuesday, it was Christmas in May as New York Attorney General Tish James dropped her long-awaited bombshell that she is joining Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance in his criminal case against the Trump Organization. The New York State Attorney General has now joined the Manhattan Prosecutor's criminal investigation into Donald Trump's businesses. Tonight, the New York AG issued a statement that reads, quote, We have informed the Trump Organization that our investigation into the organization is no longer purely civil in nature. We are now actively investigating the Trump Organization in a criminal capacity, along with the Manhattan DA. Previously, all civil investigation, James has found significant evidence of rampant criminality in her investigation. It's an increasingly serious sign for former President Donald Trump that the Attorney General's office is working with the Manhattan District Attorney's office, whose widespread sweeping probe into the Trump Organization has investigated whether the company misled lenders and insurance companies about the value of properties and whether it paid the appropriate taxes. James' notification to the organization ratchets up the stakes for Trump to an entirely new level of risk, signaling that the end game has begun with a Trump indictment expected soon. So Cray Cray is back. I think for the last 120 plus days, we've forgotten about the constant lurches in the news cycle every day and night with Donald Trump, but it's back now with this official letter. 
This letter is not like ordinary politics. It's not some statement from Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. It's not even a Supreme Court loss of which Trump had many or a civil fine of which Trump has paid many. Trump watchers are experiencing whiplash of late as the former president seems to exist in two separate realities simultaneously. On the one hand, he has grown exponentially more powerful within the GOP than he was before the election or in the, its immediate aftermath. He now holds an iron grip on the party and is very much the party of Trump and is their once and future king. But that was last week. On the other end of the spectrum, Trump is still very much on the ropes. His flexing of late is more performative than substantive in that the wheels of justice continue to turn, albeit slowly and deliberately, but without pause. The New York prosecutors, the state prosecutors, have a suite of powers called the Martin Act, which is just about the most extensive anti-fraud criminal law of any state in the country, and it gives them sweeping powers. And so what this means in practical terms is that prosecutors are going to do everything they can with their new powers to flip various people in the Trump organization. Is he scared? You better fucking believe he's scared. One criminal investigation from the likes of Cyrus Vance and the badass Mark Pomerantz is enough to give even the most hardcore criminal Cyrus. But now with James leading a parallel investigation, it's like the Avengers have joined forces, or even better, two equally vicious velociraptors have cornered their prey. Donnie boy, you're in deep shit, my friend. There's a term, and we don't like to use it unless circumstances dictate, and I think they do dictate in this case, and the term is Grenada. Have you ever heard of Grenada? No, no, I haven't. Grenada is very interesting because it is a small island nation that was invaded by the United States of America in 1983. It's about 90,000 people. And essentially it means is this case is unlosable. Okay? So, you know, we can come in, we can have our dick hanging out of our pants. Nobody gives a fuck. I'm going to win. You, sir, are what's known. As a grenade. Trump tipped his hand Wednesday to the depth of his fear, issuing a lengthy statement decrying what he characterized as law enforcement's unfair and abusive scrutiny of his business practices, while taking direct aim at James and her campaign sound bites captured on video. We are learning more this morning about <laughs> that criminal investigation into the Trump organization just joined by New York's Attorney General, the former president, insisting he will not cooperate with the probe, calling it a political and partisan witch hunt. There is nothing more corrupt than an investigation that is in desperate search of a crime, Trump said in a statement published through his Save America PAC and posted to his blog. But make no mistake, that is exactly what is happening here. But in a, in a case like this, if they can show systemic fraud, knowledge, intent, no fiduciary responsibility mechanisms in place, just no one really caring about things getting done right, and if the intent goes to the top, you're going to see people go to prison. Trump has denied any wrongdoing and claimed to be a victim of a wide-ranging witch hunt, a label he has affixed to the two impeachment proceedings against him, as well as the special counsel investigation that loomed over much of his four years in office. That is what these investigations are all about, a continuation of the greatest political witch hunt in the history of the United States, Trump said on Wednesday. 
working in conjunction with Washington. These Democrats want to silence and cancel millions of voters because they don't want Trump to run again. The 900 plus word statement is easily one of the longest he's issued since leaving office in January and reflects the highly combustible nature of the investigations into his business affairs. Long one of Trump's biggest third rails. Trump's saying to reporters from the New York Times, ostensibly so that Robert Mueller would hear them, that he would view it as a red line if anyone looked into his business conduct. He also took time to assault yours truly for my own cooperation with the DA's office, unleashing a fusillade of abuse, calling me a lying, discredited lowlife. Yes, but I was your lowlife, Donald, and I know where you buried the fucking bodies and you hid the evidence. You know it, and I know it, and that's why I've been downtown in the DA's office eight separate times to help them finish you off for good. You go on to say I wasn't listened to or given credibility by other prosecutorial offices. Except that I was. Remember my speech before the House Oversight Committee? That's what started this entire investigation. And the part about me being sentenced to three years in prison for lying and other events unrelated to me? They were fucking directly attributable to you, my friend. That's well-traveled territory that you seem unable to let go of. The fact remains that my credibility is a lot more in demand than your petty and pathetic tantrums masquerading as strength. Oh, and my testimony this time could earn you your own orange jumpsuit and a sentence a whole lot fucking longer than three years. So sayonara, motherfucker. The fact that this mother is not serving time in some federal penitentiary is a huge, hot, heaping pile of horse Ultimate Florida man and Congressman Matt Gates likes to believe he is protected by Trump's MAGA force field and that whatever Teflon superpowers are possessed by the former president were also inherited by Gates. The smears against me range from distortions of my personal life to wild, and I mean wild, conspiracy theories. I won't be intimidated by a lying media and I won't be extorted by a former DOJ officials and the crooks he is working with, the truth will prevail. Despite being investigated for underage sex trafficking, Gates has been gallivanting across the country with fellow shit-stained lunatic Marjorie Taylor Greene and defiantly calling himself a wanted man by the deep state. Now, sorry, pal, that's not the deep state. It's the fucking Justice Department, and they have you by the balls now that this one-time wingman, Joel Greenberg, pled guilty to six federal charges on Monday. This morning, the man Congressman Matt Gates has called his wingman, Joel Greenberg, is expected to plead guilty to six federal charges, ranging from child sex trafficking to wire fraud. According to his plea agreement, Greenberg admits to being involved in sugar daddy relationships where he paid women for sex, including a minor that he introduced to other adult men who engaged in commercial sex acts. Does my client have information that could uh, hurt uh, an elected official? I guess this is just, you know, must-see television. You'll just have to wait and see. This spells room for Gates for a number of reasons. To have his 33-count indictment reduced to just six counts 
indicates that Greenberg has done far more than just cooperate, but rather turned over evidence of significant value. The details that have leaked out in this investigation are really, on the one hand, a bit titillating, and on the other hand, certainly sordid and disturbing. These are the types of crimes. Uh, Gates compared the allegations against him to legislative earmarks. He said, quote, I'm being falsely accused of exchanging money for naughty favors, yet Congress has reinstituted a process that legalizes the corrupt act of exchanging money for favors through earmarks, and everybody knows that's the corruption. In addition, it now appears that the teenage girl at the heart of the scandal may be cooperating with investigators as well. Into the sleazy mix comes a report from the Daily Beast that Gates, while attending a 2019 GOP fundraiser in Orlando, spent the event with a paid escort, an amateur Instagram model named Megan Zalanka, who led a cocaine-fueled after-party for Gates and his pals. Embattled Congressman Matt Gates is being accused today of snorting cocaine with this beauty who allegedly had a no-show government job. But this gets even more insane, folks. Zelanka was on Greenberg's payroll, receiving over $15,000 a year in no-show dough for her fake job as a tax collector. According to the Daily Beast, Zelanka, a wannabe Instagram influencer, met Gates on October 26th of 2019 when he attended the Trump Defender Gala fundraiser as the main speaker at the Westgate Lake Resort in Orlando. She was just one of the many pieces of arm candy he had. Those present recalled friends reconvening at Gates' hotel room for an after party, where Zelanka cut lines of coke on the bathroom counter. One of those witnesses distinctly remembers Zelanka pulling the drugs out of her makeup bag, rolling a bill of cash, and joining Gates in snorting the blow. You were able to, to do drugs during the day and then still function, still do your job. How the fuck else would you do this job? Cocaine and hookers, my friend. Right. So far, Matt Gates has continued to deny any wrongdoing while casting himself as the victim of a politically motivated witch hunt going so far as to claim that the Justice Department investigation of him, which began during the Trump administration, is part of a larger deep state conspiracy to silence outspoken conservatives like himself. While no charges have been filed, Greenberg's guilty plea and dramatic reduction in charges suggest that he's ready to flip with an indictment for the congressman to follow. In America, First you get the sugar, then you get the power, then you get the women. for the main event. An electorate that embraces Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and bows down to Donald Trump suggests a deeply sick and broken political system. These people are by every stretch of the fucking imagination rotten, corrupt, and yeah, and fucking insane. One of them is an alleged underage sex trafficker, another a peddler of QAnon conspiracy, and the third 
Well, he's Donald fucking Trump. How these people came to define the modern GOP goes to the heart of what my next guest, Professor Tom Nichols, calls the assault from within. Nichols is a lifelong conservative turned never Trump Republican and the author of eight books, including the truly prescient Death of Expertise, the campaign against established knowledge and why it matters. Published in 2017, the book foretold Trump's criminal bungling of the government's COVID-19 response as epitomized by its urging of Americans to drink bleach and sidelining of Dr. Anthony Fauci. Today, Nichols is a professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College, a columnist for USA Today, and a contributing writer at The Atlantic. His most recent book, Our Own Worst Enemy, The Assault from Within on Modern Democracy, is a blistering Jeremy ad on the spread of illiberal and anti-democratic sentiment throughout our culture that places responsibility on the citizens themselves. How can we claim to value freedom, tolerance, and the rule of law, and then elect these incompetent, inarticulate, and authoritarian motherfuckers? The answer to these questions and much more in the next hour. So let's listen now to that conversation. In your book, Our Own Worst Enemy, you place the blame for the rise on liberalism, on people themselves, as well as our hyper-connected internet culture of narcissism and resentment. If you were writing that book today, how would you characterize the purging of Liz Cheney as part of the largest scope of the book's thesis? Wow. Well, that's a great question. And uh, thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is really important to understand is that the, the free fall of the modern Republican Party is because it's been taken over by res- a kind of resentful, you know, self-absorbed, self-obsessed uh, middle class. I mean, that's part of the problem is that we're actually living a you know pretty good life in the 21st century, even with a, with the pandemic that hit us, and we have a a middle class uh, and a white middle class that's bored, resentful, um, looking for some you know enemies and dragons to go out there and slay. And Liz Cheney, who is you know not dramatic, not. Um, you know, a larger than life figure the way Trump was or the way, uh, you know, kooks like Marjorie Taylor Greene are. Um, She just was not she wasn't going to fit in that party. Um, That party is now composed of these kind of larger than life dramatic weirdos and a bunch of very quiet, mousy, um, you know, butt covering politicos who are doing the bidding of this angry bunch of people back home who are constantly getting riled up by Fox News, by uh, talk radio, by all the things, you know, that you and I have seen for years in the Republican Party. And and that has led to, you know, where we are today. Uh, So, you know, that's partly and I, I don't think that's entirely let me just try and be a little bit bipartisan here at the end. I don't think that's entirely, you know, the the corner for one party. I think this is a, this narcissism and boredom and affluence has really kind of overtaken not just the United States, but countries in Europe, you know, Australia, other places where um, I think some of it's just the, the problem that we've come about after 35, 40 years of peace and prosperity. But I think in terms of what happened to Liz Cheney, Absolutely. Got eaten by a party that is now in the grip of people 
for whom every day has to be a big freaking drama of, you know, good versus evil. <clears throat> and the party is determined to give them that. And Cheney just wasn't going to play along with that nonsense. Except Liz Cheney was the number three ranking member. And look how fast that they expelled her simply because she refused to kiss Trump's ass. So I suspect that when you talk about the anger, the resentment, the hostility, the the chaos that's going on in Washington, there was no president who was greater at creating chaos than Captain Chaos himself. Right. Well, but, you know, the, the speed with which they removed her, you know what it really it really shows you the degree to which the Republicans you know, after just constantly getting all these hits of high voltage drama from Trump, right? Every day. I mean, we all did. We all just got used to that. Like we opened up, you know, Twitter or the news every morning. We said, what's the, you know, what is this giant hit of meth uh, that's going to make us all edgy and crazy going to be today? But what, what Cheney did was she, by refusing to go along with the big lie, she broke that spell. And she kept saying, no, none of this is happening. No, none of this drama is real. No, none of these things, uh, you know, that you make you think you're so heroic are, are true. And that that was her real sin was trying to kind of break the fever to say, no, no, we are just an ordinary political party that has, you know, policy concerns. We support the Constitution. We, we believe in our elections. And that's what they could take. This is like telling a bunch of children that there's no Santa Claus or there's no Easter Bunny. They couldn't take it. They freaked out and they said, you know, if you're going to be the bad mom who tells us that Santa Claus isn't real, then you have to go. Then you're out. And I think that. Wait, are you? Wait, Tom, Tom, are you really trying to tell me that there's no Santa Claus? Michael, I, I, I didn't want that the Easter Bunny's not real. I, wanna, I know I, I, get a, I get a chocolate one every single year, I didn't, and I love them. I, I, I didn't want to be the one to have to do this on the air, but, uh, you know, your friends asked me to intervene, so uh, I got to tell you, uh, yeah, there's there's no Easter Now, if you keep putting teeth under your pillow, that might still work out. Yeah, well, I hope that I don't, because then it's going to cost me a fortune in uh, in prosthetics. Uh, look, you know, you turn around and you say that the whole goal for Liz Cheney was to break the spell. Right. And I don't believe that she accomplished that, nor do I believe that anyone standing up for her right now are assisting in breaking the spell of Donald Trump. Nope. You know, for me, it required going to prison. It required me to turn around and to determine or decide that my loyalty belonged to my wife, my daughter, my son, and my country before him. And it's today I was watching and I saw Marsha Blackburn get up there and make a whole slew of statements. Now, I know Marsha pretty well for at least 10 years and I have to be honest with you, I always found her to be, you know, conservative in ideology. I always found her to be a rather level-headed um, Republican. And I don't know what's become of her. Trump refused to have her in the White House. She wanted a position. I forget what, what it was. Um, she wanted to be a cabinet member. And he had no interest in her at all. But yet she gets up there looking stupid, 
making all sorts of crazy statements, whether it's about the big lie, whether it's about Liz Cheney. And I, and I sort of wondered to myself, I never thought that I would see Marsha Blackburn behave the same way that the Josh Hawleys, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Ted Cruz. I never thought I would see it. And now I look at her with such different eyes. I find her to be a pathetic version of the old Marsha Blackburn. And this is a real problem for this country because we have not broken the spell of Donald Trump, despite the fact that he is out of office now for 106, 107 days. And I think that that onus now lies upon Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the Biden-Harris administration in order to subvert Trump. They need to stomp his ass down so that he can't keep doing what he's doing, because all of this is all about Trump. Are you really surprised? I mean, well, first, before we talk about Marsha Blackburn, I just have to say how weird it is that, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that Trump didn't want her in the White House, because even though Trump has this huge base in the South, Trump hates Southerners. I mean, you know, it's it's really weird that, like, he really openly hates a huge part of his own base and makes fun of them. And, you know, and they just don't seem, seem to care. I mean, I'm not surprised at all that he didn't want, you know, Blackburn. I mean, he made fun of sessions. He made fun of, you know, I mean, he's, he is just that kind of guy. Um, But I'm not surprised by Blackburn. And and I'll tell you why. And I'm not surprised by Elise Stefanik, uh, you know, who, as you and I are talking here has just been elevated to Cheney's old spot. I totally agree with you that Cheney did not break the spell. But what's going on here is that I think that some of these people have had a revelation as well. I mean, very few of us have gone through what what you went through. I mean, you know, you you had to go through the fire and and prison and all of the things that have happened to you. Um, Those of us on the right who were once Republicans have, in a lesser way, had to step back and say, what is it I really believe in? You know, how committed am I really to, you know, tax cuts or whatever, if these people are just stomping the Constitution every day, do I really, you know, I mean, my old conservative friends are all like, oh, you're a socialist now, you're a liberal now. Well, no, I'm a, I'm, I'm a constitutionalist, and I, and I just don't care that much about tax cuts or, you know, Biden's spending plan. I think the same thing, and it's just going to sound strange, but I think the same thing did happen with people like Blackburn and Stefanik and others who said, what do I really believe in? And the answer came... I really believe in living in Washington, D.C. and being a member of Congress. That's what I believe in. And I'm not going home. I'm not going back to upstate New York. I'm not going back to Tennessee. I like being in Washington. I like being a senator. You know, it's um, like a a similar thing with um, Tucker Carlson when, you know, David Frum, formerly a friend of his, said Tucker likes money and he likes being on TV. And that's what you really need to understand about Tucker Carlson. So he likes money and he likes being on television and everything else becomes just in service to that. And I think a lot of these people that you and I are, you know, scratching our heads about and wondering, you know, how the hell did this happen? I think is a simple answer. I think Elise Stefanik somewhere, you know, between Harvard and Congress said, I like living in Washington. I, I'm not going back to Buffalo or Albany or, you know, upstate. I'm just not doing it. And if I and if that means that I have to bend the knee to Donald Trump, then that's what I'll do. Now I think one thing that happens, and this this will and then I'll get off this soapbox, but I think when you're talking about Blackburn, I mean, let somebody like Ron Johnson. I think Ron Johnson's just stupid. 
I think he's genuinely stupid and believes what he's saying. And I think you just can't deal with that. But somebody like Blackburn or, or Stefanik or others, I think there is the danger, as Kurt Vonnegut once said, that you we are what we pretend to be. That sooner or later you say this stuff enough times, you start to believe it. And, and you start walking around saying, yeah, you know, the election was stolen because it's now become part of your personal self-interest um, to believe that. What happened? Where would Elise Stefanik be right now if not for Donald Trump and the big lie? She'd be a backbencher in the minority party, you know, representing uh, an upstate constituency and having to do what backbencher junior congressmen do. She'd be doing committee work. She'd be doing constituent service. And now overnight, because of Trump and the big lie, she's the number three person in the caucus. So she's she's just not going to back off of that because her self-interest is simply too wedded to the lie now. Hi, folks. Michael Cohen here. And we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. Make sure to check out Tuesday's interview with neuroscientist and philosopher Sam Harris, who leads Jordan on a fascinating conversation about morality and the future of humanity. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy-hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Like the May 6th interview with conservative icon and Iran-Contra figure Oliver North. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy this show, and we think you will as well. So search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I had stated openly before the House Oversight Committee to all the Republicans that were attacking me that pathetic day, and I said, I know what you're all doing, and look at what's happened to me. And everything that Donald Trump touches dies. Now, she may be the number three today. Rest assured, something will come up, and she will not be the number three any longer, because Donald Trump doesn't care that on Monday you were loyal to him. On Tuesday, what did you do for me today? And if you don't do something for him on Tuesday, he's already now plotting against you. And the more that he gets to know you, the more dangerous than he becomes. Now, it was funny because you were talking about Kurt Vonnegut about the repetition. That's the Trump rule. It's a Stalinistic approach, which is if you say something over and over and over again, people will begin to believe it. 
Hence the big lie. But Trump was the best at that, including how he destroyed, for example, Jeb Bush, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz with his nicknames, Hillary Clinton, over and over and over again. And it's, it's almost like the McDonald's jingle. You don't get it out of your head. So when you think of Jeb Bush, the first thing that comes to your mind, right? And low energy. I have enough listeners out there. Low energy. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And when you think of Hillary Clinton, right? It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. Well, who's going to build the wall, right? Mexico. And it's, you know, these are, this is what Donald Trump does. He's an expert when it comes to that Stalinistic approach of just repetition in order to prove truth. Yeah, I, I you know, for years I've said that um, one of the things that I find amazing is that Donald Trump is really the most genuinely stupid human being to ever be president of the United States, or really in almost any you know, serious position of power. But but when people would say, but how has he thrived in this? I, I, it seems to me, you know, you you would know this better than I would, Michael, but it seems to me that the one kind of innate genius he has is for marketing and branding, that, that he seems to just understand this notion of marketing. You know, even if the product is crap, he knows how to sell the product. And he does it, as you say, by repetition, by branding, by sloganing, and and it works. And unfortunately, you know, this is this is one of the problems I talk about in the in this book that's coming out. It's 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 not the Jedi mind trick. It's that it's junk food and, and it's mental junk food. And we like it. We we don't we don't want complexity. We don't want nuance. Trump. I mean, if you think about America as becoming a kind of simplistic, narcissistic culture, Trump was the perfect president for that arriving at the perfect time. And against and against the perfect candidate, oh, and against the perfect. meaning Hillary oh, Clinton. Yeah. I mean, student. I believe that anybody else would have defeated Trump except for Hillary Clinton, which, as you said, right time, right place, right everything. And yes, where whatever room Donald Trump steps into, it makes no difference what the line of work is. He would be the stupidest person at the table, Amazing. despite the fact that it is absolutely 100 percent true. Interestingly enough, his own sister, Judge Barry, when I when she called me up, when he was making the announcement, he wanted her to come to that wonderful day where he attacked um, you know, all Mexicans. I remember Judge Barry saying to me, you have to get him to stop this. He cannot run for president. I said, no, he's going to run for president. She goes, he's an idiot. And, and I said to him, well, you call him. You're about the only person that he's afraid of and listens to. So she goes, she goes, I'm going to do that. Now, I don't know if she ever did, but rest assured, there's no way. Did, did you, know, you can't listen to you, his you sister? Can't. Is that right? I mean, does, yes, very much. She was, very she much was the so. one person that could actually pick up the phone and, you know. Yes. And really get through to him. And um, he used to cower when she when she <laughs> called. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Now, I want to just move on for a second. What I do find unsettling is the GOP's whitewashing of January 6th and trying to rewrite the truth around what actually happened, what we all saw. The amount of gaslighting that's going on now is absolutely insane. Kevin McCarthy, for example, going on television to claim that nobody is claiming the election is under dispute. I can't understand the game that they're playing until I look at the base and I realize just how much they believe these lies are actually not lies. But even more than that, how much they want to believe the lie. Can you discuss this with me and my listeners? Sure. I mean, you know, I think you're absolutely right that it's 
not that they believe the lie, it's how much they want to believe the lie. You know, a few times over the years when I've been, you know, before the pandemic, I was traveling around doing talks around the country. And now and then, uh, you know, I would I would get into discussions with people who, you know, were, had read my stuff and they were pretty mad at me and they were Trump supporters. And, and when you would start talking to them about the reality, right, the truth about things like, no, you know, the wall doesn't really exist. And no, North Korea hasn't been defeated and denuclearized and all that stuff. You would see in one-on-one conversations, almost kind of panic creeping into into their eyes of, you know, like, like you were just pulling the struts out of a whole, you know, uh, foundation of things that they believed. And I think this is one of the reasons that their attachment to things like Fox and to, you know, Facebook, uh, you know, the top 10 posts just today on Facebook were all from guys like Shapiro and Bongino and the rest of them, because they're terrified about it's it's like a it's like a house of cards. If you pull one of them out, the whole thing is going to collapse and then they're going to have to confront the things that they voted for, that they've supported. So they it's not so much, I think, and I'm, I'm kind of being an amateur psychologist here with you. I'm not sure that it's they actually believe these things so much as they are terrified not to believe them because then they would have to reckon with all the things that have happened over the past five years. And so they stay in these very comfortable bubbles and reassure each other, hey, that didn't really happen, did it? No, even though we saw it, you can, you know, wasn't really, I mean, that guy from Georgia, I can't think of the congressman's name of, oh, well, it was just like a bunch of tourists, you know, going to the Capitol. That, that, Everybody knows it's a lie, but it comfort, they're all comforting each other to say, we're good people. We would never support people that attack cops and, and over on the Capitol and smear crap on the walls of our nation's you know, most hallowed institutions. We're not like that. And they spend a lot of time just telling each other that and reassuring each other of that as a way of kind of calming that internal panic about, dear God, what have we done? You know, what did we support? What have we become? And I think that's why it's impossible. I have a long running argument with one of my my good friends about this, you know, about I, I just don't think you can engage them anymore. I don't think there's any point in it because this is too this is too much of a of a fortress they've built up around themselves. And, you know, I, I wish the best of luck to people who want to try to have that conversation with some of these folks. But I just don't think you're going to get anywhere with it. Yeah, my mom always used to say you can't argue with stupid and that's really how they're behaving. It's their comments, whether it's Sean Hannity, the same as Tucker Carlson. They, they don't believe this bullshit. I know for a fact Sean Hannity doesn't believe this bullshit. We used to talk about it all the time. It's all about the fucking Benjamins. That's really the truth. It's about him getting bad, another airplane, another real estate project, and blah, blah, blah. Right? But what bothered me, and it really, really, truly pissed me off, was when I saw that congressman that you were referring to turned around and claiming that the rioters were not rioters. They stayed in the stanchions as they would go. If people were there to attack the Capitol, to kill Mike Pence, to kill Nancy Pelosi, would they stay within the stanchions? They didn't go on the opposite side. They were orderly. They were, they were not disruptive. Yeah, they probably should not have been there um, and so on, but it is open to the public. But again, none of them wandered outside of the stanchions. It was an orderly protest. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying to, to myself, Seriously, 
You got to go home to your family now. And you have to look your kids, your wife, right, your family, your friends in the eyes and turn and say, yeah, I really said that. And you start to wonder then what universe are they living in as you're now basically being battled by police officers who are hitting the airwaves, talking about their experience as one guy was screaming, you know, I have children. When they were stomping on him, another guy whose head was stuck in between doors and they were pressing him. You know, I I mean, another guy who was being beaten with a flagpole. I mean, yes, you're right. They're not rioters. Okay, sure. Whatever you say, they were staying within the stanchions. I mean, what kind of stupidity and nonsense? You know, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing when everybody has already seen the videotape. They've already heard the screams of the Capitol Police officers. You're going to tell me that they're not rioters and really look somebody in the face? I don't get it. Well, there's one more thing that's going on, too, which is that all of these people, like this this guy from Georgia and, you know, Carlson and Hannity and the, the Sedition Caucus, they've all convinced themselves that if if people like me don't lie, they, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, especially the Fox lineup. They're just, I think, you know, you, you watch that evening lineup and you can't, just have to come to the conclusion these are just bad people. These aren't even stupid people. These are just like, you know, charlatans who are destroying the country for, for fun and profit. But also I think they've convinced themselves I am very important. I Because without me, the drag queens and the drug addicts and the socialists and the Chinese and everybody will overrun the country. This is another part of the story that, and I think behind the scenes, this is part of the story they tell themselves about, yeah, we're lying. Yeah, we're putting up with, you know, lunatics and people that are clearly, you know, unstable like Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, but we're doing it because the cause, you know, because if we don't, the Chinese paratroopers are going to land in, in, in San Francisco and they're going to, and then on the other side, the Iranians are going to show up and they're going to impose Sharia law and the drag queens are going to teach our kids to be vegans while giving them heroin. I mean, they've really convinced themselves that they are the last line of defense against some gigantic civilizational collapse (laughs) when in fact they are the civilizational collapse. They are the actual decadence that is destroying the country from within, but they've projected that out onto other people. And you get these crazy, I mean, I'm sure you've, you've encountered these people of like, well, you know, uh, they're, they're imposing Sharia law in Kansas, you know, that kind of stuff. And you just, you can't get through that force field. And I think what's really disturbing are the people that are clearly intelligent enough to know better, the Carlsons, you know, Laura Ingraham, who just smirk into the camera and say, I'm just going to pump this bullshit and you're going to send me money because I'm smart and you're stupid. Yeah, and Megan Kelly to that list as well. But what I, what I also thought was incredibly uh, interesting was the other day uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene got into words with um, AOC. Yeah. Now, That just goes to show you how stupid Marjorie Taylor Greene is, because one thing you never do, never fuck with a girl from the Bronx, because AOC would tear her up, right? I give AOC a lot of credit for not, for backing off and not giving her a good old-fashioned Bronx ass-kicking, because that's really what Marjorie Taylor Greene, she could take as many pictures she wants with her AR-15, right? Rest assured, things start getting heated up, my money's on AOC 
taken her down in the first round. But what AOC did was smarter, which is just to go, whatever. That's the that's the the response that I mean, kicking her, you know, AOC. I'm just now you've got this image in my head of, you know, AOC and MTG brawling in, in Congress, which is uh, like a you know movie of the week. But I think the thing that really hurts these people is when you turn to them and they say, you are beneath my, you are beneath contempt. You are not worth my time. And that's, that's what's making her so mad. So on this, I'll give, you know, I don't think you or I agree with AOC about 99% of her political stuff, but I think she did the right thing by just turning around and going, talk to the hand, whatever. I'm a congressman. I'm busy. You know, go talk to your crazy friends. I'm not doing this. And I thought that was the right thing. Yeah, I, I do also. Um, though I would have liked to have seen a little <laughs> UFC match going on there. <laughs> Tom, let me ask you. Do you think that the twenty <laughs> do you think that the twenty twenty election opened up a Pandora's box for future elections to be rife with this level of dispute, distrust, and violence? Have we entered the age of American politics now where it's now acceptable to appeal to an armed and radical fringe of the party like in, say, Angola or Nicaragua? Yes. You know, thanks. Thanks for that. That softball. Let me just swing really hard at it and say, yes. You know, when I was when I was working on the book and trying to figure out not just about the United States, I mean, why is. Why is liberal democracy? You, you began at the beginning when you said liberalism, and I just want to remind your listeners. I don't mean like political left liberalism. I mean just like li- open the, the small L liberalism of open democracy, tolerance, constitutionalism, secularism, and so on. I, I was trying to figure out why is that declining in the United States and in so many other countries. And I was for a while I was kind of blocked on the book because I thought. You know, is it that is it as bad as I'm wondering is it, it is? Am I just overreacting? I you know, I had to, had to kind of check my own instincts here. Uh because I didn't want to be overly influenced by by Trump and what happened under Trump or even by January 6th. But the one thing I did think all along was, well, maybe after 2020 some of this fever will break and maybe I, I can write about how we can reconstruct this, how we can put this back together. I don't have that optimism anymore, Michael. I just don't. I think what's going to happen is Republicans around the country are now trying to rig state and local. I shouldn't even say rig. They are going to capture because Democrats are tend to be really bad at showing up for state and local elections. They're going to capture a lot of state and local seats. They're going to change the, the rules for 2024. And then I will use the word rigged because if Biden is reelected, they will simply re- refuse to acknowledge it. Um, they will override their state legislatures. I mean, you can see uh, where where did they set this up already? I think they did it in Arizona and Georgia. They've, that's part of the Georgia law, right? They say, well, you know, no matter what the people say, the legislature. And by the way, that is not unconstitutional. The Constitution is silent on how, you know, there's a 14th. You're the lawyer here, but there's a 14th Amendment issue, obviously. But the but the Constitution basically says, hey, the states can pick electors the way states want to pick electors. That's up to them. And I think that what they're going to do is they will simply try to create enough chaos and enough doubt to say we will not certify the 2024 election. And we will have an, a failed – if Joe Biden wins in 2024, we will literally have a failed transfer of power in this country, something I never thought I would see in my life. And it will become – we've already had a failed peaceful transfer of power my friend Molly Jongfast said, you know, this was almost not a peaceful transfer of power. And I said to Molly, no, it was not a peaceful transfer of power. 
let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not sugarcoat you know? it because I called it two years ago when I spoke before Representative Cummings in the House Oversight because I know him. I know what he was thinking. And rest assured, I agree with you. I think from now on, there is going to be contested yep. decisions, election after election. We should just call it the Donald Trump rule because that's really what it's going to be. And that would make him so happy. Yep. Oh, my God, you're using my name. That's and your testimony, you were, I mean, you know, you, you threw it right across the room at him and said, be ready. This is going to happen. And, you know, a lot of us who were watching what the Republicans were doing, I mean, I think those of us that were once inside the Republican Party who, you know, paid attention to Republican politics, you know, the thing, the things that we used to be good at in terms of political infighting, making sure that you show up for local elections, making sure that you you know, control redistricting. I mean, gerrymandering is a bipartisan activity. That is now really going to become uh, an authoritarian political movement that is basically going to say, since we're on a podcast, I'll drop an F-bomb. They're going to say, fuck democracy. Democracy doesn't work. Democracy only means, I mean, the Republicans have basically become committed to minority rule is what it really means. Their attitude is screw the people. We have a right to rule. And that goes back to this thing I was saying to you a minute ago about we have a right to rule because that's the only way to stop the, you know, Chinese, socialist, Muslim, gay, whatever. And they've just decided it. I mean, there is no and this is why going back to what started our whole conversation today, man, that's why they had to get rid of Liz Cheney, because Liz Cheney's politics, as hard edged as they are, stop at violating the Constitution. Yeah, I mean, they should stop. It, it shouldn't even get past that. It's like we're saying I mean, that like it's, it's I mean, that's, that's the basis of <laughs> right. Right. It's the basis of our democracy, for God's sake. Cyber criminals target job seekers looking for new employment with fake job postings designed to trick people into revealing their personal information and social security number. With this information, cyber criminals can access your credit cards, bank accounts and even open a loan in your name. Be sure to carefully research job postings and protect your information from fraudulent job posts. You put your information in so many places online. Unfortunately, cyber criminals around the world keep finding new ways to steal identities. The all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to have protection in the digital world. Norton 360 with LifeLock gives you comprehensive protection for devices, online privacy, and identity. Device security blocks cyber criminals from stealing personal information on your devices. VPN with bank-grade encryption helps keep the personal information you send over Wi-Fi safe. LifeLock identity theft protection monitors your personal information and alerts you to potential threats to your identity. Now, no one can prevent all cybercrime and identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But if you have Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can opt into cyber safety. So sign up today and save 25% or more off your first year by going to Norton.com slash Cohen. That's 25% off Norton 360 with LifeLock at Norton.com slash Cohen. Look, yesterday, the New York Times ran an amazing, amazing story about a network of conservative activists aided by a British former spy 
who mounted a campaign during the Trump administration to discredit perceived enemies of President Trump inside the government. Now, apparently from the story, female operatives ran a honey trap from a $10,000 Georgetown mansion arranging dates with FBI employees and secretly taping them for damaging information. You would think they were Jeffrey Epstein. According to the Times, and I quote, The campaign shows the obsession that some of Mr. Trump's allies had about a shadowy deep state trying to blunt his agenda and the lengths that some were willing to go to try to purge the government of those believed to be disloyal to Donald, to the president. Do you see this obsession with the deep state as part of the larger Trump derangement syndrome of the GOP? Oh, yeah. And, you know, there was always years ago I worked for um, John Hines of Pennsylvania, you know, the kind of Republican that doesn't exist anymore. Right. I mean, God rest his soul. Senator's been gone for a long time. But, you know, that kind of Republican just doesn't exist anymore. But being a Republican, we used to get these phone calls from, you know, Pennsylvania that I would field about. The, about the trilateral commission and the Illuminati and the this and the that. That paranoid streak was always there, particularly in the Republican Party, because the Republicans always thought of themselves as kind of on the outs. The Democrats were the party of government. The Republicans were the party of, you know, local and state power. That has now overtaken the party. That is the like the kooks that used to call me up 30 years ago from Pennsylvania are now the people running the Republican Party. And I read this piece that that you quoted from, you know, earlier in my career, I was a Soviet expert, right? I dealt with the Soviet Union. And I read this and I thought, even the fucking Russians aren't this stupid. I mean, it's like, you know, this made this made the Cold War, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle plots seem sophisticated by comparison. Um, And I thought, what what has become of people that were once, you know, as you say, that have children that had serious jobs that functioned like normal human beings have now become this walking cartoon of craziness, of, of utter madness. We're going to steal McMaster's calendar and we're going to honey trap these other guys. And to find what? To find out that government runs as a completely ordinary thing. This is part of the thing that the Trumpers have never understood, and I think a lot of people in America don't understand, but the Trumpers have never understood that when you finally peel back all the layers and you look into the deep state and the bureaucracy, it's boring. Government is boring. It's a bunch of people going to work every day and trying to make things, just trying to make the, the, the lights go on and the wheels turn around. And again, these people have cast themselves in this role of heroic, you know, they all think they're Jason Bourne or something, all these jelly-bellied, you know, midlife crisis guys showing up in their camis thinking that they were going to like do battle with, you know, Antifa socialist commandos on the steps of the of the Congress. These are people who simply cannot accept the, the normal existence of a normal democracy. And that's what makes them so dangerous because they're constantly looking for some big drama that's going to involve them and their guns and their Kevlar. Um, and, and I mean, that whole story was it would be funny the, the the piece in the times about McMaster and Ladine and the rest of them it would be funny except it's my country yeah you know and look the biggest problem is as it related to this Trump administration they're not they're not like the Putin dynasty 
They're not smart like the people that Putin surrounds himself. Look at who Donald had there around him. Jared, yeah. who his father brought him into Harvard, the genius. He had who? Steve Bannon, a fucking psychopath. You had Steve Miller, a self-loathing Jew. You had who? Corey Lewandowski, Bullwinkle with his, you know, with, with Rocky, his, uh, what, what, what's his name? Dave Bossy. Right. I mean, you know, you look at Kaylee McEnany, this Harvard graduate who gets up. Right. I mean, Kaylee McEnany, who gets up and all of a sudden, you know, with her laminate smiling like this, you know, it's sunny 24 seven. I mean, what the hell is going on? This is the problem. They all think that J. Edgar Hoover, right. that they're all going to get some compromising compromise on each and every person. Yeah. You want to fuck with Donald? I got a dossier on you, motherfucker, right? And I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to talk about this to your wife. I'm going to show it to your kids. I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to destroy your, you know, you're going to do what Donald says. I mean, this is not the United States of America, right? This is exactly Putin's style. This is, it's not even Kim Jong-un's style. Kim Jong-un doesn't even need a dossier. He doesn't like what you're saying. They tie you to a tree, and they shoot a fucking missile at you. (laughs) And they blow you and the tree up, right? Donald wants to be an autocrat. I say it on every podcast. It's so he obvious. He never wanted to be president. Of so course obvious. it is. He never wanted to be president. He wanted to be a dictator. He wanted to be a monarch. When he sees Mohammed bin Salman flying in on his president on his you know kingly plane, right? Donald wants that. He wants to turn Air Force One into his private fifth airplane. I mean, that's what he wants. He wants the White House to be. You know, we'll call it the, you know, the, the, the winter White House as opposed to Mar-a-Lago being the winter White House. I mean, this is what he wants. He wants to own the United States of America. And because being he's the narcissistic sociopath, he's so stupid he doesn't even realize it's never going to yeah. happen. And so he brings along the other narcissistic sociopathic stupids, right, in order to sit there and follow him. Right. Next thing you know, he's going to be like the next, you know, um, Jonestown, where he's going to tell everybody, drink my Trump Kool-Aid. It's the best Kool-Aid on the planet. And of course, it'll be laced with something, which is more Trump bullshit and lies. But that that also gets to something that you were asking about earlier. And and I started to say people at home couldn't see it when you when you said um, Bullwinkle, when you said Lewandowski is Bullwinkle. I almost spewed a, a, a whole mouthful of Diet Coke all over the screen because it's just so perfect. And it would be funny except that this is another one of the talents that Trump brought to the way he tried to take over the government, which is that he took people who would have been struggling to hold on to like a seasonal job in a department store. And he gave them offices in the white house, which is a quick way of breeding fanatical loyalty because without him, you're nothing. You're a caddy. You're, you know, you're a guy from Lowell who's, you know, uh, struggling to get by. You are, um, you know, um, who's the Lord? Jenna Ellis, you know, you're this fourth string, you know, legal. T- I mean, he really plucked people and just said, I will, I will give you power and money and you will do my bidding complete, which is really kind of a mob way of doing things, right? You take the kid from the neighborhood, you say, here's your car, here's a roll of money. Now, you know, you're going to have to go do things that I, that I want you to do. The incompetence, I, I've said this many times, the, the, Ameri- the United States was saved from this past four year, years by the astonishing incompetence of the people involved. I mean, you know, even on a policy, aside from all of the shit they tried to pull with 
you know, blackmailing and pressuring. And by the way, I saw you the other day. Nice reach out from Matt Gates. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> boy, that Twitter? did yeah. not age well for for Gates. You know, Fuck him, pervert! But uh, sick mother—he's just a sick motherfucker. And you know what? Nothing's going to make me happier than watching all of these individuals that deflected their own personal issues onto me, Donald Trump included. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting back right now, as many people had, you know, uh, responded to the tweet, you know, with a big giant bag of popcorn, and I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the anvil to drop. Right, the Acme anvil to drop right on the guy's head. And nothing's gonna make me happier than seeing that because I think Matt Gates is a piece of shit. But that's part of why this was such a, a unique threat to democracy coming into the twenty twenty election, because so many of these people, it wasn't just because they, they you know, again, it's you can't really agree with Donald Trump because there's no policies there. I mean, there was no, you know, the people say, Well, I like what Donald Trump has done. Donald Trump didn't do anything. But a lot of these people who were supporting Trump were basically saying, if this guy doesn't get reelected, we're screwed. We're, we, we have legal exposure. We don't have a friend in the Justice Department anymore. We don't have, you know, the government big footing our cases out of the way. And that, again, I will say this made them excessively dangerous because it's 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 almost worse than being a fanatic. Um, you know, fanatics who want the things done that they want to get done. Um, when you add to that, and my personal safety is involved, like if I don't get this guy reelected, I could end up in jail. And I think what you're seeing now is this whole flurry of things. You know, one of the real villains in this whole story that I think um, will later the story will be told is actually um, Bill Barr, you know, who who for whom the Justice Department just, you know, got smothered for a while. And, you know, now you're seeing what happens when we have a functioning system of justice. again. Yeah, it's a Bill Barr Sunday a la Rudy Giuliani on top. And I think they're both going to go down. And again, I'm going to sit back with a lot of glee and enjoy the, you know, enjoy the show. I want to ask you, though, this, Tom, in your book, The Death of Expertise, you captured the cultural moment on how we abuse facts truth and science to forward particular agendas. Now, former President Trump and his, crimi- and his criminal bungling of COVID is case in point. How dangerous do you see this death of expertise to be in that 70% of Republicans believe that the election was stolen and half of the country is still refusing to be vaccinated? It seems People trust their own social networks more than the scientists, judges, and the professors. Can you discuss this with my listeners? Sure. You know, there's two separate problems here. One is the problem that when people don't trust science, then they do things that are just dangerous, right? They don't get vaccinated. Um, You know, they, I mean, even on a personal level, when your doctor says, hey, you know, cut back on the cut back on the beer and the cheeseburgers. And you say, I don't believe that stuff, you know, and, and you harm your health. The bigger problem is when you stop believing in facts and you think everything is just an expression of your feelings and everything simply becomes um, in service to your political and personal beliefs about yourself, that that's really when a country becomes ripe for an authoritarian takeover. This professor at Yale named Timothy Snyder had a great line. He said, a post-truth society is a pre-fascist society. That, you know, this is when you're the way that authoritarians 
take over entire populations is to convince them that the world around them isn't real, that the things that they're telling them are the real thing, that they're the real people. These are the real facts. And, um, you know, it's, it's bad enough when you have this distrust of experts leading people to, you know, eat bad food and not get vaccinated and, you know, just do kind of personally stupid things. It becomes, it goes to a whole other level when people say, well, facts are whatever I think they are. Um, you know, the, the, the rioters at the Capitol weren't really rioters. They were just good citizens looking for a tour, uh, you know, a tour of the Capitol. At that point, a democracy becomes ripe for an authoritarian takeover because that level of gaslighting means that you will endure anything. And, and you know, once you're trapped in that illusion, you will do almost anything, including literally kill people uh, to prevent having those illusions shattered and to prevent the cognitive dissonance and the shame that would come from having to confront that. I think it's immensely dangerous. And part of the reason I wrote the second book is I got to the end of this death of expertise. And I mostly I was talking about things like, you know, people arguing with their teachers and telling their doctors they don't know stuff. And yet people kept asking me, this is bad for democracy, isn't it? And I kept saying, yeah, democracy is kind of screwed if this keeps going on. And it kept going on. And I think democracy is screwed. I mean, I have to, I keep, I don't, I don't want to keep being a bummer for your listeners, but I have to say that I am pessimistic. I think we're, I think that the real challenge has just begun. Getting rid of Donald Trump was the first step, not the last. Yeah, it's, it's true. It it is the very first step. But, you know, when I talk to people, I always tell them, I don't expect you to believe the same things that I believe. I think we're all, we all have very different sets of opinions. We have different backgrounds. We have different ideologies. We have different friend, social circles, etc. But I'm very frustrated right now. And I think you are as well with everything that's going on in terms of this pandemic. What we know, facts are facts. Enough of this fucking bullshit with innuendo that you listen to on both, on all the stations, on all the cable stations. Facts have to become facts, and they cannot be disputed. So what's one of the facts? The facts Donald Trump decided to spit in the face of the pandemic because he doesn't believe that science is real. Donald Trump, being the coward that he is, ended up getting the vaccination the day before leaving the White House with Melania, refusing to do a public service announcement like former presidents Obama, Bush, and Clinton did. Why? Because that would then, of course, destroy his fragile ego, whereby he has to acknowledge that he made a mistake. And Donald Trump is not capable of making a mistake, right? So, I mean, yesterday, as an example, in regards to the COVID vaccine, you tweeted the following, and I quote, I really think the ship has sailed. At this point, what will probably encourage vaccination is realizing that the only people you know getting sick and dying were the people who didn't get vaccinated. Now, in reading your Twitter, it sounds like me, you're really frustrated with the way people have politicized both mask wearing and the vaccine. Describe to me how this all unfolded for you, that you've reached this point of supreme irritation. You know, I was vaccinated as a boy against smallpox, believe it or not, because, you know, I I had relatives in parts of the world that I had to visit that where smallpox was still a thing. I have I have relatives in my family who to this day limp from polio. 
and so to me, you know, the vaccine comes along. This national emergency breaks out a year and a half ago. And I actually predicted at the time, and I was wrong. People always say, Tom never admits he's wrong. I was wrong. I thought the pandemic would make us pull together. I didn't count on the president of the United States intentionally driving us apart about it. But, you know, when the after after the deaths, I said, well, when 20,000 people are dead, 40,000, 60,000, that's going to break. You know, people are going to get it. We're up to almost 600,000 people dead and we're out there fucking bribing people with French fries and lottery tickets to get vaccinated. I'm sorry, that is the sign of a failed, decadent society that instead of saying, this is my patriotic duty, this is the thing I should do for my children and my family and my friends and my community, I'm going to haul my ass down and get vaccinated. You know, instead, you've got governors going on television saying, I'll give you a lottery ticket. I'll give you French fries. You know, like we're children, like, like uh, you know, as one of my friends on Twitter said, we're, we're an inch away from from like treating them like children saying, open up, here comes the vaccine choo-choo, you know, into your mouth. Um, and so I, I've just, and then just to, I have a piece in today's Washington Post where I'm frustrated with a lot of other people who say, no, no, I want to keep wearing masks. You know, like they can't let that, the president of the United States says, you're vaccinated, you can take your mask off. And they're saying, well, what does the president know? What does the CDC know? It's become, it's become tr- like trying to talk to a bunch of um, sugared up kids who simply want to do what they want to do. And I've kind of, you know, reached the, the end of my rope with that. And the president, you know, President Trump, one of the pieces I wrote, you may you may remember this because I think this one actually made its way into the White House and he attacked the Atlantic magazine after I wrote it, was about how <laughs> unmanly Trump is. You know, that he's really the unmanliest president that we've ever had. And that, that came through, that, you know, instead of approaching the, the pandemic the way, you know, a guy like him who thinks of himself as much and say, listen, I'm going to be the first one out there. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm going to get vaccinated. I'm going to go visit the hospitals. I'm going to, you know, be the, the battlefield president. Instead, he's such a he's such a weenie that he can't even he's terrified to, to have somebody, you know, to have a picture of himself in a mask or with a needle in his arm. And that spread to millions of people who said, yeah, I'm not doing that. either. The president doesn't do it. I'm not going to do it. Tom, Tom, he's ignorant and he's arrogant. And for him, he didn't want to get the vaccine. He didn't want to believe it because he felt it was going to damage the economy, which is all that he was riding on in hopes of the reelection. But I threw my hands up in complete frustration when I saw the other day that there are people that were just arrested for selling fake vaccination IDs. Now, that just really blew my mind. It's one thing. Look, you know, we all had fake IDs when we were kids. When I was a, when I was that age, you know, we didn't have to, um, you know, have there were no pictures on it, it was paper right so you're able to manipulate a seven uh, you were a, in new york into a four i was in massachusetts they right. put pictures on ours they were wise to us man well that's they sure were but you know when i saw that these fake ids for vaccination who the fuck do you think that you're kidding when you're laying there on a respirator you're going to show your laminated fake vaccination id to the doctor and say no you can't put me on a ventilator right. or you know i'm i'm not dying because i have a fake ID. It's to me. It's so stupid. Yeah, here's my, you know, here's my and, fake and vaccination. I'm frustrated. Here's my fake vaccination card. Good. Well, here's the fake respirator. I'm going to shove down your throat. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't exactly. But, but, you know, the other thing, too, is it shows you, you know, and this this actually does kind of relate to the kind of Trumpist culture. Right. One of the things that always amazed me about Trump in office was that he would lie when it was easier just to tell the truth. Like the lie actually took more effort than just saying something that was true. Fake vaccination cards. You know, what's easier to get than a fake vaccination card. A vaccination. Yes. The vaccine itself. I mean, it's sure. Right. You stand online for 15 minutes. Boom, boom. And you're done. It's like getting the flu vaccine. It's it's really beyond stupid. And anybody that is walking around with a fake ID or selling a fake vaccination ID, you know, welcome to Trump. Welcome to Trump land. Right. You should move to fucking Mar-a-Lago and go cut his grass because you've got to be the stupidest human being on the planet. Scrotal distancing. Ever heard of it? I'm not talking about running away from our Cheeto-dusted former president or Rudy the Nudie Giuliani. They're scroters of different sack. But if you're struggling to separate the guys from your thighs, it's simple for Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear. I'm not kidding here, folks. The underwear is the real deal, and I keep begging them to send me more because they're so damn comfortable. When you're wearing Tommy John's hammock pouch underwear, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Fanatics that call Tommy John's hammock pouch one of life's greatest inventions. With dozens of comfort innovations, once you've tried Tommy John underwear, you're never going back. Like an air mesh interior hammock and moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands, with over 13 million pairs sold, balls across America love Tommy John underwear because everything stays in place. So no more flopping, sticking, or chafing. Tommy John underwear has a non-rolling waistband for the perfect fit. The legs never ride up, and you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Guaranteed. And right now, you'll get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com Cohen. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. TommyJohn.com slash Cohen. See the site for details. You know, as we're winding down the hour, Tom, I want to ask you this. In his grilling before Congress on Wednesday about the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller said the following about his role, and I quote, I had the authority I needed, didn't talk to the president. Now, his appearance has drawn widespread outrage at both his incompetence and seeming culpability. Do you think Miller was in on it and maybe held back the National Guard or was he just really bad at his job? Another victim of the death of expertise, so to speak. Yeah, and this is a this is where I have to remind everybody that uh, even though my day job is with the Navy, I I don't represent the DoD or any agency of the U.S. government, and I have no inside knowledge about this. My guess is that um, he was just bad at his job, and that there was no. I mean, I, I don't think that that, and and this is purely an impression looking at Miller and his testimony that. He, I don't think he was sitting there saying, good, the Capitol's being overrun. We're going to take the election. I, I mean, I just think it was more like, I think they were sitting there going, holy fuck, what the hell is going on here? And now what are we doing? Well, we can't get the president on the phone. because, and, and I wonder, too, let's not call the president because once you get him on the phone, he could tell you to do something batshit crazy. So let's just try and deal with this. 
And then, of course, nobody's in charge. This is what it, this is a real lesson in leadership. When nobody is really in charge, when nobody's good at their job, when nobody knows what they're doing, everything goes sideways. And, and my my suspicion is that he was put there the way Trump put everybody in these acting jobs to basically be a bump on a log um, while while things you know went haywire in every direction. So I think I think it was just a matter of you know, putting a short timer in there, everything goes to hell. He doesn't know what to do. They don't know who to call. But the one thing that was really shameful about all this is, and, and representative Steve Lynch of Massachusetts, you know, my, my, one of my hometown guys, Lynch basically said, Hey, how come right here in your testimony, you say you think Trump caused this. And now you're backing away from it in the very same day. You're not willing to say it out loud. And it shows you how scared these guys are of Trump world. They, they're youngish, you know, that none of these are really old guys. They all, you know, are looking ahead to their future and saying, how do I live in this world that I've created? I mean, what do you, what do you do now that you've been Miller? Say I was Trump's last secretary of defense. What is that? A selling point for going on the lecture circuit. Um, and so instead he's got to say, well, I got to keep my head down, not cut, not get Trump, you know, sicking his legions on me which you know, you know how that goes. You've been a victim of it yourself. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that these, that these poor bastards, I don't want to even say poor, but that these, that these guys who sold their souls are now saying, how do I get out of this? How do I kind of wipe this, you know, uh, shit off my shoes? And I think that's, that's what happened. Look, if they were actually that dedicated, you know, if a guy like Miller was that dedicated to making something happen, it would have happened. I think what you really saw was chaos, uncertainty, collapse of leadership. Nobody knew who to call. And now they're all trying to explain, you know, they're like Inspector Clouseau falling down the stairs and then saying, oh, that felt good. I meant to do that. You know, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a boom. Look, as we're winding down the hour, I just have one more. It kind of like a summation of everything here, because now I've been a Democrat my whole life since, um, I mean, 1987 is an example. When I was in college, I was working for Congressman Joe Moakley in the, in the Rayburn building until, of course, I had to switch over, uh, thanks to Steve Wynn, when I was asked to be the vice chair of the RNC Finance Committee. For about a month and a half, I was a Democrat acting in that position. They said, you know, this is no good, so you got to switch. But I'm not about destroying Republicans or destroying the Republican Party. But as an American, I'm really concerned about where the party is heading because I find it really, really dangerous. Now, on February 25th of 2021, you penned an article in The Atlantic and it caught my eye and it was entitled, The Republican Party is now in its end stages. The GOP has become in form, if not in content, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union of the late 1970s. Now, this statement by you in the Atlantic article brought back a book that I was reading while I was in solitary confinement called Godfather of the Kremlin. Mm. And it made me very nervous because I start seeing a lot of comparisons to what was going on in the you know, that book, uh, Godfather of the Kremlin, was about uh, in the year 2000, um, and it's, you know, just years prior to. But there are so many similarities in terms of the concentration of massive wealth in the hands of but, what, 20 people, 40 people? And these oligarchs, right, held 
incredible, not just positions, but incredible power in the government until, of course, Yeltsin then finally brought in young Vladimir Putin, who basically took over everything, um, allowing the oligarchs to retain their funds so long as they pledge fealty to him. And if not, look at, like, for example, what happened to Khodorkovsky, um, uh, 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 yep. right? Who, you know, got jailed when he said he wanted to run for president. Or, or, Ber- um, or Berezovsky, you know, who got dead. Or Berezovsky, exactly. By the, but in the book Godfather of the Kremlin, um, Berezovsky was still alive by the end of the book. Um, but exactly. This is sort of a similarity that I was recapturing and it's very scary. What's your take on it? Because you really are the expert in this. Well, the the thing that makes the aging, you know, post-revolutionary communist party, you know, by the time it gets to Brezhnev, right? A bunch of tired old rich guys. Uh, you know, Brezhnev especially was t- all about the money. I mean, there's even a joke. I'll just de- detour for 10 seconds. Old joke from the Soviet Union where Brezhnev is showing his mom around and he shows him, uh, he shows his mom her dacha and his collection of foreign cars and his jewelry and his mother's looking very concerned. He finally says, you know, mama, what's the matter? And she says, Landon, this is all very nice, but what will you do if the communists come back? Um, and, and, you know, they were all just super rich, corrupt old guys. The, the similarity between these two parties is that the only thing they believe in is staying in power. And that's, and, you know, Brezhnev's old communist party could not be reformed by Gorbachev. Gorbachev was actually kind of naive, thought thinking that he could revitalize this, and they ate him alive. And then it turns into Putin's Kremlin. Now, I was another thing I've been wrong about in my career. I actually thought early on Putin. Well, you know, maybe he's just going to be a very businesslike kind of hard-assed guy. He's going to straighten a few things out, but basically leave democracy alone. I was, of course, that turned out to not be true. But the thing that that the current Republican Party. And the old Soviet party have in common is we must be in power no matter what, under all circumstances. And that's the thing. I, unlike you, I was a Republican from the time I was 18, growing up in Massachusetts. I I became a Republican in the 70s. By the time Trump came around, I'd kind of left in 2012. I was worried about where they were going. And I decided, you know, not to be that I that my heart was still with conservative politics rather than liberal politics. You know, I just don't have that gene. But um, by the time Trump came along, I I realized that this Republican Party had mutated into something that was really terrifying um, because it wasn't about right wing politics. It wasn't about even conservative politics or policy. It was about a group of people, as you've pointed out, with a lot of wealth and a lot of power saying we are going to stay in power no matter what it takes. And if that means shitting on the Constitution or hijacking the Justice Department or, you know, prosecuting our enemies or spying on the National Security Advisor, whatever it takes, we're keeping the the throne. And that to me is just not it's it's more than un-American. It's it's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. And so I'm unlike you, I've reached the point of saying, yes, the Republican Party, you know, James, James Comey one of Trump's best friends, right, said the other day, the Republican Party has to be burned down. A lot of prominent Republicans, I think, have reached, I'm not I'm not one of the prominent ones, but a lot of prominent Republicans have said, this party has to be basically burned down and restructured from the ground up, because there, 
because with Liz Cheney gone, especially, there isn't anyone in it who is committed to anything other than raw power. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why Trump is so fascinated by Vladimir Putin. He looks at Vladimir Putin almost as a professor, as a teacher in how to become a a dictator. Listen, you know, we can call Vladimir Putin Mr. President. It makes no difference what the term is in front of his name. He, in essence, is a dictator of Russia. Nothing happens in that country if it's not authorized by Vladimir Putin himself. And that's what Donald Trump wanted for himself, which is why he could never criticize him throughout, whether it was the campaign to the nomination all the way to the presidency. I mean, one of the things that Trump was so impressed about Putin is after the Constitution of Russia, which allowed the same as in America, eight years, right, to be president, Vladimir Putin didn't want to give up the power. So what did he do? He then appointed Medvedev to be president, right? And then became prime minister, which as a codicil to the constitution gave him ultimate decision-making over the president. And after the four years, they got rid of that codicil and he then decided to give himself uh, presidency for life. There is a lesson here, by the way, that Trump, I mean, I've always thought that the other thing about Putin is that Trump is scared to death of him. For whatever reason, I mean, there's a there's a kind of alpha. Trump loves to talk about being an alpha, but in that relationship, Putin is the Putin's the boss. But the other thing that Trump seems to, at least other Republicans around Trump, want to take away from this is everything Putin did was constitutional because he put people yes. into place that then changed the constitution and changed the laws. You know, when I would give talks about Russia, people say, "How can Vladimir Putin break the law?" I'd say, "I don't know how to tell you this, but in the Russian context." Putin's not breaking any laws. He did not break any laws. And that's the part I'm trying to tell you about Donald Trump admiring Putin. Is Vladimir Putin the alpha male over Donald? Of course he is. The guy's on, you know, shirtless on horseback (laughs) riding, right? He's scoring eight out of 13 goals with the Russian hockey team. He's a, by the way, Listen, do I think he really scored eight goals? No. Is he a good hockey player? He's a good hockey player. Trump, who owns ice skating rings. (laughs) Yes, yes. He's in great shape. He's a Sambo expert. I know the guy who he used to train with um, because he fought for affliction. I mean, now you turn around and you look to see he didn't break any laws. That's what Trump was doing. He's trying. So, yes. Vladimir Putin is the alpha male, and Donald Trump can't criticize him because he admires him. He admires everything that he did, and he wants it for himself. So that's really, that's the scary thing, how many Supreme Court judges Donald put on the bench, overloading, right, with Republicans off of the Heritage Foundation or whoever else gave him names in federal courts around the country, all for what? In order to give allegiance to Donald when he decided when the to time have his coup. Come, right? and, the, and the January 6th for him was supposed to be that time. And his feeling is, okay, I may not have gotten away with it on January 6th, but I'm still here and I'm looking to come back. Yeah, the, the, the one thing, and I think, you know, if we're going to end on a more optimistic note, is a lot of the guardrails of American democracy held. That, you know, when 60 courts around the country in some of the most conservative jurisdictions said, we're not, you know, we're not signing off on this. We're not going to be a part of this. That's something I think Americans should take some pride in. 
that the the that the system of separated powers, you know, the Republicans in Congress are complete failures. Um, you know, God bless Mitt Romney, but Mitt Romney can't do this by himself. Uh, you know, they couldn't bring themselves to impeach him. They couldn't bring themselves to oppose him to exercise their own powers. But the 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 federal system in the United States of having separate states with their own elections, federal judges, state judges, state supreme courts, the system held. The question is, is it going to hold again in 2024? I'm not that sure. And with that, I want to thank you. But I do want to just note that Joe Biden won by 45,000 votes. So people really need to think about just how close we were to losing our democracy. Thanks to, yep, Donald J. Trump. So, Tom, let me thank you for your time, your insight. Really appreciate it uh, and hope to speak to you again real soon. Thanks for having me on, Michael. And now for today's mea culpa. I keep thinking about Trump's personal attack on me earlier this week and how much it reflects a man very close to personal ruin. Him calling me a lowlife is the act of a man trying desperately to punch down in the hopes that his bullying will dissuade me from working with the district attorney and the New York attorney general. I don't know if he understands how little power he actually commands beyond the GOP and that his hold on me was broken long ago. But in his mind, he is still president and the world turns on his every utterance. Here is a person who just seven months earlier was the most powerful man in the world. But through his own fucking incompetence, narcissism, and corruption, Trump found himself cast out. We are now seeing the true depths of his sociopathy as we witness his inability to accept reality. It's a sad state of affairs, but it's also personally vindicating for me as a person. There was a time not too long ago when this would have destroyed me, having the dear leader cast aspersions upon my reputation and call me names would have led me to complete and utter despair. Like many in his circle, I lived for his praise and the few moments when he would shine his light upon my shadow. The rest of the time, you just took his abuse. Now I can't believe I spent an hour with this man and let him speak to me the way that he did. But now, removed from his circle, with his power diffused, he is nothing to me, less than nothing. But it took a lot of soul-searching and a complete personal journey to get where I am today. I think of the million people still in Trump's shadow, waiting for him to return and deliver upon them words and actions that will restore their own sense of place and dignity. I fear, like Tom Nichols, just how far we have fallen as a nation. But I also know that we can return to a better place. But it starts with removing Donald Trump. Let's hope that these recent developments show his MAGA adherents that their emperor truly has no clothes. And thanks for listening. Hey, movie lovers, who needs a theater when you have Pluto TV? Grab your popcorn and your streaming device because free movies are here. Pluto TV is your home for movies. Great movies are playing anytime in over 20 exclusive movie channels of action, horror, rom-coms, and more. Watch hits like Saving Private Ryan, Pretty in Pink, and Charlie's Angels all for free. No signups, no fees, no contracts. Ever. Download the free Pluto TV app on any device. Maya Culp is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. 
It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. You strive to innovate, to propel payments forward. But what if you could do even more, access more people, and add more value? With Discover Global Network, you can. Accepted in more than 200 countries, with over 270 million cardholders around the globe, we help you grow further, faster. As the world's fastest-growing payments network, see just how much progress we can make together. Discover Global Network. Accelerate progress. Here at the Home Depot, we want to help you do big, bigger, even epic. From small tools to earth-moving equipment, we've got your DIY covered, no matter how big or small. And at the Home Depot, you can rent and reserve online and pick up in-store. The Home Depot app, how doers get more done.